Whenever you're ready. Good morning, Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Good morning. I invite you to come in if you're still in the back, bring some coffee. We're going to stand this morning and worship.
morning. You are visiting or new. My name is Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church, and we are we're glad that you're here with us this morning as we come together to do what we, we just sang, that we can praise God for all the ways He has blessed us and helped us in our week and in our day-to-day life for all the good that He has done for us. In that first song we sang, that there is nothing better than God. And it, it's easy at times to forget that and to think of all the things I do or I've earned. But there is nothing better than God the way He has blessed us. Just a few, few announcements to bring to your attention this morning. First, next Sunday, following the service, we're going to have a, a discussion in here after the service where we'll talk about kind of the vision and the hope for small groups coming up this fall. And so if you're going to be around this fall want to be a part of a small group, I would encourage you to be part of that, whether you're in a group now, whether you are interested in a group, whether you're interested in leading or hosting or just participating. We would love to have you come be a part of that conversation and kind of discuss what that will look like. Also, downstairs, you'll see a table uh, where there are sign-up for Sunday school for the fall. It's a little bit hard to believe that we're coming up on that time already, but we're trying to get prepared for Sunday school. So downstairs, if you have school-age kids, elementary school-age kids, there's a sign-up downstairs so you can sign up for what grade they're going into just to give us an idea of where numbers will be. So we'd encourage you to do that. And then a couple weeks ago, we had VBS here at church. And so we're going to have Pastor Ian, our, our youth pastor, come just give us a little uh, information about how VBS went. So we had VBS a number of weeks ago, and uh, it was super fun. We had 31 kids here. We did VBS in here. We cleared out all the chairs, if you can imagine that, and um, did it in here. It was great. We had great weather for it, and um, it was a lot of fun. So here are a couple pictures. So the theme was I Wonder. It was kind of this crazy laboratory theme the whole week, Um, and we kind of focused on four questions, um, starting out with, Um, I wonder what makes me unique. And we talked about how God came and died on a cross for these kids. And um, we we walked from there and did a bunch of other fun stuff. Um, All of the... See if my clicker still works. Kind of. So... um, Lori Kirby and the Kirbys did all of the decorating themselves. And as you can see, it looked pretty great. Looked like a laboratory. It was pretty cool. Um, So thank you, Lori and the Kirby's. It was good. Um, They even got me a lab coat that was way hotter than it should have been. (laughs) But it was all right. Um, So that was super fun. Over the week, we had different crafts. We did um, built some robots. So um, there's all my pictures. Anyways, we did. Uh, we had teams build robots and um, did some other things, talking about how they can serve God. Um, we had high energy worship the whole time. Um, as you can see, it was pretty crazy. It was pretty fun. Um, we had great team leaders. I want to highlight uh, Jesse and Kim Smith, who came and did that. 
uh, with their kids. It was great having them, as well as Heidi Anderson and um, Betsy Coach were our group leaders, and they did a great job. So it was a great week. Thank you, everyone, who helped out. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to next year and all of the fun that we'll have. So here are some of the kids and their robots that they built. Um, they didn't actually work, but um, they did different robots that how can a robot serve God was kind of their the theme. So thank you for everyone who helped out. It was a great week, and uh, we look forward to next year. It was great being part, a little bit of being there that week and of seeing you know, those kids and people in our church join together and worship and grow in their knowledge of God. And so we want to continue to do that this morning as well. As we come together, we want to continue our time of worship. And so in doing that, will you, will you pray with me? Father, we... <clears throat> We thank you for the work you did in and through VBS and through the leaders who took part in that event and for that time. We thank you for the way you've been at work in the heart and the lives of the children who participated in VBS. We Thank you that you brought 31 kids to this place to hear your word and to be encouraged and nourished in their faith, to hear the gospel, to hear the good news of what you've done for them in Jesus. And pray that VBS and not just be a, a fun week that happens and then is half, but that it would continue to bear fruit, that the thing the kids heard during that week would continue to work in their hearts and their minds to continually form them more and more into the image of Jesus for that kid who had never trusted you would place their faith in Jesus. And we thank you for, for all the work, all the volunteers who participated in VBS. And Father, as we continue this morning to worship and to hear your word, pray that you would quiet our heart, you would quiet our minds, that we put away other distractions, that our heart would worship you as we sing, as we hear your word as we fellowship together. The overarching result would be our worship of you and you being glorified. Father, work now in our hearts, in our minds. Point us to you. Help us to pour out our praise to you as we continue to sing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to ask you to stand again as we continue worshiping.
You know, as a church here, we have an odd um, rhythm to our, our year. There's a lot of visitors, I can tell, here today. And one of the ways I know that the Northwoods is busy is how long the line is outside of Lickety Splits at night. And last night, it was there were people parking at the laundromat, so I called my, my daughter works there. I'm like, you're lucky you're not working tonight. It was out the door. So if you are here in the Northwoods, we welcome you. Grab some ice cream later today. But for right now, let's... Um, we're going to just worship a little bit and focus ourselves and just celebrate everything that we are as a church. Whether we're visitors, whether we're people who come, when we come together, we are the church. So we just ask you to worship with us.
our God, right? We're going to keep worshiping this morning.
holiness, that they're just saying you are holy, holy, holy. You are worthy of all our adoration and all our praise. We thank you for the chance to gather together as your people and worship and praise you. As we come to your word now, would we we continue to be amazed by what a great God you are as you reveal yourself to us in your word. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. Children ages four through seven are dismissed to head downstairs. They can head to the children's church. There's an author, his name is Simon Sinek, and he wrote a book called Start With Why. It's not actually the type of book I would normally read. It's a business-type book, but and I actually didn't read it. I fell asleep watching a TED Talk once, and when I woke up, his TED Talk had autoplayed a few minutes later. And so that's how I further talk about this book. But anyway, in this book, he, he had this thing called The Golden Circle, and it looks like this. So this book is targeted, like I said, at businesses. And so next main point is that in order to be a successful company, you should focus, you should focus first and foremost on why you do what you do. Before you focus on what you're going to sell or how you're going to sell it, you should focus on why you are the type of company you are. Like I know you can't read the stuff on the side, but it, here's what it says that every organization on the planet knows what they do. These are the products they sell or the services they offer. Some organizations know how they do it. These are the things that make them special or that set them apart from the competition. But, he says, very few organizations know why they do what they do. Why is not about making money. That's a result. Why is a purpose, cause, or belief it's the very reason your organization exists. Right? So he's talking about why being the most important thing for, for companies. And maybe that's true of companies. Maybe very few companies know why they do what they do as they, as he defined that. Right? But for me personally, of those three questions, what, how, and why, the one I find myself struggling with the most, usually it's not, it's not so much why, not so much what, but, but how. Like, like I, I have goals, and I know what those goals are. Usually I know why they are my goals. But often I struggle with like, how to achieve them. For example, this, the past week, my family and I went up to Marquette, Michigan for a few days, and I ran a half marathon while we were, we were up there. And as it become kind of more are serious about my running over the past few years. Like, it's been really gratifying for me to see my, my personal best times in the half marathon keep getting lower and lower. But in the, in the lead up to this race, I, I had a problem I had never had before. I was trying to get even faster, and as part of that I found a plan that was supposed to help me get faster. But in following that plan, I found there were things like I physically couldn't do. I think that the plan called for that I was incapable of. In particular, like I couldn't 
run as fast as the plan called for me to run, even over short distances. And so this plan, I do think, like, like most plans, that they call for me to do some runs where you run fast over short distances, right? faster than your actual race pace. And as I worked at this plan, like, there were times when I just like, physically could not get my legs to turn over as fast as the plan was telling me that I should. I, just, I couldn't do it. And the experience made me realize that if I really want to take the next step in running, it would be even faster. That I need to think more, about, more intentionally about the, the how of my running. Like, I know what I want. Like, I, I want to continue to set personal best in races. And I know why I run. Like, I run because, like, running is good for my health, right? Not just my physical health, but also my, my mental health and my, my spiritual health. And, and seeing progress in my races, like, is motivating for me to continue to run more. And so that's why I run. But where I find myself stuck is in the how, right? Because up until this point, like, I started out as, like, not at all a good runner. Like, I couldn't run, like, a half mile. And so, like, I got better pretty naturally just by, like, going out and running a little bit, right? And, like, doing whatever kind of felt naturally for my body, right? But now, like, I realize I need to be more in touch with thinking about, like, how I run, how I train. I need to understand, like, kind of the mechanics of running. And so I've, I've recently started like, work, working my way through this book called The Science of Running, which is more or less a, a textbook of running. And in fact, the subtitle is How to Find Your Limit and Train to Maximize Your Performance. Right? It's helping me understand the, the how of running. Right? And that, that question of how, right? it's often where I find myself get hung up on things. Like I, can, I can know what I want to do, I can know why I want to do it, but often I don't know how to achieve my goal. And I think that the same thing can be true of us as we think about talking to other people about our faith in Jesus. Like many of us know we should be doing it. We even know maybe why we should be doing it. But actually knowing how to have conversations can be a challenge. It's the last, or two weeks ago, like we looked at the, the why of sharing our faith. Right? We looked at Psalm 96. And in that psalm, we saw that we are called to declare the glory of God to the world because He is great. He is worthy of praise. Right? That's, the, that's the base level motivation for why we share our faith. Because God is great. That's the why of evangelism. Right? God's greatness. Right? And then last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians 5. And we saw kind of the what of evangelism. Right? We saw what our method should be, like what we should be sharing. And in that passage, Paul told us that at the core of the message that we are to declare is be reconciled to God. We talked about in that passage how, how reconciliation is needed because our sin has alienated us from God. And that reconciliation is only possible because Jesus came and He lived the sinless life that we were supposed to live. And He he died in our place on the cross. And He suffered the punishment that we deserve for our sin. Right? So that's, the, that's the what we proclaim. That's the what of evangelism. That's the message that we rejected God, so that God sent His Son to bear our sin. So that's, the, that's the what. That's the, why do we proclaim? We proclaim, proclaim because of God's greatness. 
what do we proclaim? We proclaim the gospel, right? the good news of hope found in Jesus Christ. But that leaves us with then the how. Right? Like how do we actually go about sharing our faith? Like for me, like that's often where I get hung up. Right? I know why I'm supposed to share my faith. I know the content of my faith. I know what I'm supposed to share. But how do I find opportunities to share? And how do we share in a way that it will be well received and not just cause division or alienation between us and the person that we're sharing with? That's what we want to consider together this morning. The, the how of talking about Jesus. The how of sharing our faith with others. And to consider that question, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning. We're going to look at verses 8 through 18. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 18. And really the whole book of 1 Peter is something of a, of a how-to manual for, for Christians living in a hostile world. Peter, Peter writes the whole book to Christians facing persecution and, and suffering. And he writes in order to teach them, to instruct them how to live in a culture that is generally opposed to the things of God. And today's passage is a, it's the conclusion of a section that starts way back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. And then there, Peter writes, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. So that's who he's writing to. That's how Peter think Christians should view themselves as foreigners and exiles. Like this world is not our home. And in light of that, this is how you should live. He says, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. And so everything that comes after those verses in the book of 1 Peter is about how we ought to live as foreigners and exiles. How we ought to live as Christians in a world that is hostile to Christianity sometimes. Right? And it all culminates in what we're going to read this morning. Now thankfully, like, we don't live in a world where we face the kind of persecution that, that Peter's audience did. Right? They were being tortured, they were being killed frequently for their faith. But there's still much we can learn from Peter's letter as we seek to live in a culture that is increasingly not always quick to accept our Christian faith. So then I'd like to read 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 18. It says this. Finally, Peter says, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? 
But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. To give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. What we see in this passage is that we, we point the world to Christ through our attitudes, through our actions, and ultimately through our words. So I underline the word ultimately up there because there's this quote that you maybe heard, it's often associated with St. Francis of Assisi, and it goes like this, right? He's quoted as saying, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use word. Maybe you've you've heard that before, but there's just two problems with that. First, there's no evidence Francis ever said it. So you you attach a random quote to some famous old person, and it sounds good, but there's no evidence he actually ever said it. The second problem is that when it comes to preaching the gospel, words are always needed. Just imagine, like, a producer of, like, the evening news telling one of their anchors, like, hey, report the news, right? And if needed, use words. Like, the anchor would look at him like he's crazy because, like, it's the news, right? Of course, words are needed. And the same thing is true of the gospel, right? It's the good news. Like, you need words to communicate news, other things matter too, like on the news, right? Like we're more inclined to listen to an anchor who's well-dressed and not doing weird mannerisms. Like the presentation matters as well, but ultimately the content is communicated in words. It's the words that matter. And the same thing's true as we share our faith, right? Like we're going to spend time this morning talking about the importance of our, our attitudes and our actions in communicating our faith, right? But if you leave here thinking, like, well, as long as I have a good attitude, and as long as I do like, good act of service, then, well, two out of three is not bad. Like, if, that, if that's your attitude as you leave here today, like, I can get away with just having a good attitude and doing good deeds, and I can leave the words behind that's good enough, then if that's what you come away with, then like, I've failed to communicate the point of this passage. Right? Words are ultimately needed. I just wanted to get that out of the way up front. Words are needed to communicate the gospel. Our attitudes and our actions then are our means of inviting people to hear our words. And Peter lays out the kind of natural progression throughout this passage. This progression for how we can earn a hearing for our message. And he says it starts with having a right attitude. And if we have a right attitude, then that attitude will naturally cause us to act in ways that display the love of Jesus to the world. And then as we do those actions, 
our good attitudes and our loving actions will, will shine and they will naturally prompt conversations and questions. And in answering those questions and in having those conversations then, like, we can share our faith in Jesus. And so this morning, I want to kind of walk our way through that progression. Look at our actions, our attitudes, and our words. But first... I want to just notice one assumption that Peter makes in this passage. That assumption is, Peter assumes that Christians will live lives that are actively engaged with non-believers, with people who don't believe the same things they do. Back in chapter 12, verse 2, he writes, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when, on the day He visits. Right? The assumption is that we will live our lives among non-believers, among those who don't agree with us in our faith. But that's not always the case. Right? Like, I've been around a number of like, mega-churches in my day, right? and like, it's kind of mind-boggling some of the amenities like these massive churches offer. Right? Like, I know churches that have their own fitness center, right? So instead of like joining anytime fitness or whatever gym, like you just show up at church and you can do your, your workout. I know of churches that have like enough kids in them, they have their own like youth sport programs. Like probably mostly have kids that are from that church. So instead of joining the local rec league or the YMCA league, like kids just play sports with other kids in church. I know of churches that have like coffee shops with regular business hours, right? Not just Sunday morning, but regular business hours. So instead of going to the local coffee shop and engaging with people there, like you just get your coffee at your church. And many churches have daycares, many others have schools attached to them. And look, like none of those things in and of themselves are bad. But they cause a problem when like, you can do so much stuff at your church that you have no reason to live, as Peter says, among the Gentiles. Right? Like, you, you can go through your day with never having any interactions with people who see the world differently than you, who have a different faith than you, then you have no inter- opportunity to interact with non-believers, right? Because you're just at church all the time. And like, that problem isn't as pronounced here. Right? We don't have churches that have all those kind of amenities, and we certainly don't, right? But, like, it's still possible right, to kind of keep ourselves trapped in a bit of a Christian bubble, right? Like, we just go through our days interacting primarily with our Christian friends instead of our non-Christian neighbors. Right? We, do, we do far more church activities than community activities. Right? And so we just need underlying all that we're going to talk about this morning, right? Peter has this assumption that we live our lives among non-Christians, among unbelievers, right? Not just in parallel, right? But among them, actively engaging in their lives. So that's first and foremost when it comes to the, the how of sharing our faith. Like, we need to be living and engaging and interacting with people who don't have the same faith that we do. As we live among them, then, then one of the things they should notice about us is our, our attitudes. Right? Right? And like none of what I just said means we should neglect 
our fellow Christians. In fact, in verse 8, Peter says that one of the attitudes that people should notice about us is how we love one another, how we love our fellow Christians. In 1 Peter 3, 8, Peter says, like, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. Right? And that's reminiscent of, of John thirteen thirty-five, when John writes, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. One of the signs, one of the indicators of our faith in Jesus is that we love one another. Part of what should draw non-Christians to Christianity is the way Christians love one another. And there's this balance we must strike between living among non-believers, engaging with non-believers, but also still being engaged with and loving our fellow believers. We should love one another. That's one attitude we should have. And in addition to loving one another, we should also have an attitude, Peter tells us, towards the rest of the world that is compassionate and humble. Our attitude towards the world should not be one of judgment, should not be one of superiority, it should be one of compassion and humility. Later in verse 15, Peter will say that we should have an attitude of gentleness and respect towards the world. Sometimes, like, I fear we've watched like, a few too many, a little bit too much cable news, right? too many debates on cable news. Like, you know, you know the ones, right? Like, they all just boil down to a shouting match and name calling, and like, it's just kind of embarrassing for the people involved that they're grown people and they're acting like that. Like, like my my five year old and my seven year old daughter can argue more maturely than people on cable news sometimes. Right? Like, but we see that, and it's such, such a bad example. But we watch that, and then we assume that like, any conversation about faith with people who disagree with us like, must play out the same way. Right? But like, the good news is, like, you can have a conversation with someone who doesn't agree with you about Jesus, about your faith, and like, it can be a cordial, friendly conversation. It doesn't have to play out like a cable news show. And in fact, Peter said, like, if far as it depends on you, like, it shouldn't go like that. Like, our attitude towards those who disagree with us should be compassionate and humble and gentle and respectful. Like, our goal is not just to win an argument, like, to score a point. Like, I would even argue that our goal, first and foremost, is not ultimately to convince people to trust Jesus. Like, of course we want that to happen, but, I, but our ultimate goal in any conversation, especially those among people who disagree with us, is our ultimate goal is that we represent Jesus well. And if you look at how Jesus interacted with those who disagreed with him, those who were far from God, it was with gentleness and respect and compassion other than with the Pharisee, but that's like they were claiming to be speaking on God's behalf, right? But those who are far from God, Jesus was gentle and compassionate and respectful towards them. So that should be our attitude as well. Like another attitude that will cause the world to take notice right, is a fearlessness in the face of threats or perceived dangers. So often, at least for me, like, 
the thing that can stop me from talking about Jesus is fear. Right? Even though, like, for me, like, the main thing I have to fear is rejection, right? not imprisonment or torture or death like it would for Peter audience. And yet, despite the fact that Peter Dodian faced those threats, Peter tells them in verse 14, do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. Like, they're facing torture. They're facing death. And yet Peter says, hey, don't be afraid. Right? Nothing is more likely to raise questions from a watching world than to stand confidently in the face of threats. Right? Of course, that's, that's easier said than done. Right? Like, in fact, like all these attitudes are easier said than done. The question then becomes, like, how do we cultivate these attitudes? How do I grow in loving my fellow Christians well? How do I grow my ability to be compassionate and humble and gentle toward non-Christians? How do I grow my ability not to fear? And in verse 15, right after Peter tells the audience not to fear, he said this, he said, Do not be frightened, but... On the contrary, right? in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Right? The way to cultivate any of these attitudes is first and foremost to cultivate a reverence in your heart for Jesus. And then as you grow in reverence for Jesus, that these attitudes will flow naturally out of that. And we have to grow in reverence for Christ. We do that by, by reading His Word by being in prayer, by gathering together with fellow Christians to worship Him, we, we grow in our reverence for Christ. And as that happens, then our attitudes will reflect His attitudes. And those attitudes will lead us to act in a way that points to Jesus. It will lead us to right actions. And Peter, throughout the passage, tells us on a number of occasions the, the importance of our actions. In verse 9, he says this, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. And then in verse 13, he tells us to be eager to do good. And in verse 16, he tells us to live in a way that we have a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And again, back in chapter 2, Peter said, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Like our good deeds among non-believers will cause them to glorify God on the day He visits us. And so it's important that we... We seek to point the world to Jesus. We seek to share our faith. That we live in a way that our conscience is clear. That we repay evil with blessing. But we must, must, must keep the order correct. The first thing we need is the reverence for Jesus. Which then produces right attitudes. Which then produces right actions. Sometimes we try to shortcut the whole system and focus on our action first and foremost without working on our attitude or our reverence for Jesus. And you can like you can fake it for a while. Right? You can you can will yourself, try really hard to, to do good deeds for a little while. Right? But if you're 
actions aren't rooted in a reverence for Christ, if they're not rooted in a right attitude, then it won't ultimately last. If our, our good deeds and our actions aren't rooted in a reverence for Christ, like, they'll fall away and our witness will be damaged. Right? But if we have a reverence for Christ, if we have right attitudes, then our actions will last. We will love one another well. We will have clear consciences. We will love the world. We will act in a way. When we do those things in a lasting way, then they add a powerful effect to our words. If we're people who are living lives that are above reproach, that are, we can live with a clear conscience, then when we come to share our faith, that has a powerful effect to our words. And ultimately, our words are needed, as we said. In verse 15, Peter says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Right? And that ultimately then is the heart of, of how we share our faith. Right? That we live such good lives that get prompts conversations, that prompts questions. And when those questions arise, we're prepared to give an answer for the hope that is within us. That doesn't mean we just like sit back and just kind of hope that someone will ask us questions about our faith. Right? We, can, we can and should be engaging others in conversation. Right? We can be bold not to like, just come out and spew our faith, but to ask them questions about how they view the world. Right? Ask them the big questions about life, how they see the big questions. Right? Ask those questions. And generally, if you do that, like, those questions will be reciprocated to you, and you will have the opportunity to share, to give your answer. So I've got a two, two questions for us this morning. Like first, like are you living among non-Christians in a way that is gentle and respectful and loving and therefore affords you an opportunity to have these kind of conversations? Do you, have, do you have interactions with non-Christians, and then do you live among them in a way that invites the conversation? And if you're having those conversations, then do you have an answer for the hope that is in you? And Peter gives us the basis of that hope. In verse 18 he says, Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. Right? If you're here, and you're either not a Christian, right? don't understand what we're talking about when we talk about the hope that is in us, or maybe you're here and you are a Christian, but you can say, like, I don't really have a good answer for the reason for the hope that's in me. Like, this, this verse gives us the basic, right? that, that Christ suffered for us, right? That our sin, as we said earlier, alienates us, separates us from God, and we deserve punishment for those sins. But that Christ suffered in our place, on our behalf. That He was, as the first says, the righteous, that Him, sinless life, Jesus, suffering, living for the unrighteous. 
in order to bring us to God. That Christ suffered in our place so we could have a relationship with God. That He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. That though we may die in this life, that because we have faith in Jesus, we are made alive in the Spirit. We will live, we will be resurrected once again. So that, that's our hope. Right? That's the reason for the hope that then, that we trust that Jesus suffered for us in our place in order to bring us to God. If you're here and you've, you've never believed that, never trusted in that, then I would encourage you, I'd invite you to, to do that. If you have questions, if you want to talk more about why I believe that, I'd be more than happy to have that conversation with you. Those of us who are here, right, who, who have trusted that, who have believed that Jesus suffered for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, right, then I'd encourage you, in light of this passage, right, to intentionally live your life in a way that invites conversations, invites questions from non-believers. And you have those conversations to be gentle and respectful, not brash and condescending. That you can disagree and still be friends. That that first conversation may not be the one that changes their mind. But you can have conversations that are ongoing. Continue to live your life in a way that stands out for its good deeds, for its good attitudes, and continue to have those conversations. There's no magic trick to winning people to Christ. That it's daily living with right attitudes and right actions and availing yourself of opportunities to have the conversations that God puts in your place. And then when those conversations present themselves to, to be bold, to be willing to share, not fearing rejection, not fearing the outcome, but trusting that God's given you the opportunity to share what He has done in your life. So maybe worthwhile. Right? Some of you became Christians a long time ago right? and become kind of the natural state of your life, but it might be worthwhile to like remind yourself, like what is it? Like what is the reason for your hope? Remind yourself daily and by reading his word why you have the hope that you have, so that when those opportunities present themselves, you have good answers. But I encourage you to be seeking and aware of and on the lookout for ways God places the opportunities to have those conversations in your path. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in Jesus. We thank you that that we have sinned, that we deserve punishment for our sins. That Christ suffered in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous. And that because of that, we can be brought to you, that we can be forgiven, we can stand before you 
cleansed of all our sins and confident that you accept us. Father, I pray for, for each of us as we go from here that we would think deeply about life's big questions. Right? For those of us who haven't trusted Jesus, I would pray that they would ask themselves questions about the meaning of life and the existence of the universe and of life's big question. Those of us who are here who have trusted Jesus, pray that we would refresh our minds remembering why we believe in Jesus, why we have the hope that we have. That you would provide opportunity to share that hope and to answer questions about our hope so that other people would come to know you and the hope that you offer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you, if you go from here this morning, would you go out into the world seeking to share Jesus with others and be engaged in the world around you? You are dismissed.